When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome, everybody. Big announcement today. Woo! Episode one of our Dungeons & Dragons show that we've been talking about for over a year, I think, is up on YouTube now. Link is in the description below. You can check it out. Uh, We'd love to get your guys' feedback on it. Good, bad, ugly, all of it is extremely, extremely helpful to us. We're trying to make this as good as it can be, and we actually rushed to get this first episode out because... We need, we need feedback. Um, one of the things I told you that I'll tell the audience is a mistake that I made this go around is I've been kind of like a stand-up comedian that writes his entire set, yep. we've been, that writes his entire set and then takes it on the road rather than the stand-up comedian that gets a bit, goes out and performs in a small bar, gets feedback, workshops it. We did the whole season. Yeah. <laughs> and now we're getting our first iteration of feedback, which was... A tactical error in uh, trying to get better at any skill, but we are here. We appreciate any feedback you have, and we do this because we're actually shooting for season two in two weeks, and so we really, really would love to know what we could do better to make this a more fun show to watch. We're committed to making it good, and we're super excited. Yeah. I would also say for the show, my initial thought with the show was, oh, like the podcast, just you can just show up, mm-hmm. and the DM, who's really good, I think our DM is excellent, will do the work involved in making it good, and upon watching it and watching other shows like oh no there are things to do as a player to make it better so i've been Mm -hmm. doing my own little mini breakdowns of dnd players yeah but i didn't do it before season one so season two i think we'll have a very different energy from the players Mm -hmm. and uh you might do a breakdown of some Um, of the dms for potentially mulligan yeah yeah so for those of you who know him he's a fantastic storyteller he's Probably one of the best improv comedians that I've seen. He's my favorite person in the D and D circuit, which is why I'm considering doing him. I don't. It's not, I don't think it's going to necessarily smash like a Tommy Shelby video, but I think it will be fun and that there's a lot to learn. I think he's very, very good at being a good storyteller, making a good first impression, captivating people, instantly conveying a strong thin slice. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I have no idea what the content will be, but I'm noodling on it for Charisma on Command. Um, so, uh, not totally related, but I, we might've talked about this. If we did let me know the student loan, uh, forgiveness reassignment, depending on how you want to call yeah, it, is being discussed it. again. Not just that. Um, did we talk about, I was just thinking through the philosophy of taxes and why they exist and why, what is a good reason for taxes to exist? What is a bad reason for them to exist? No, I don't think we've done So that. like, there's a lot of reasons that get brought into it. And one of them is like, well, they can afford it. They should pay. And um, I wanted to talk about the truths. I haven't thought through it totally, but like the truths and limits of that. I think mm-hmm. there's a degree to which um, if you have an extremely wealthy person and an extremely poor person, the degree they don't have water, even if the wealthy person earned that somehow totally by themselves and the poor person has earned their position, they started out in a fantastic, you know, middle-class place and like earned that themselves, that you still want a floor yeah. that you cannot dip past and that is taken from the ceiling mm-hmm. um, the, and that, that that would be fine. What I do see is that you've got um, 
you know, middle and I'm sure lower, but like people who have incurred uh, tens of thousands of dollars of loans and got to have four years of college, which uh, is not the lowest class rung of society. Yeah. Well, this, saying- is, this, is my problem. <laughs> this is my problem with forgiving student debt. It's just, we've talked about this. It's just not the best way to help the most people or the people in the most need necessarily. Mm-hmm. Now, so you could come up with a program that did help people who had student loans. I wouldn't exclude them, but it's, it wouldn't be my guiding focus. I would mm-hmm. go, what are other ways we can slice this pie to get to the people who need the most help mm-hmm. and can be helped the most per dollar, let's mm-hmm. say? And then I would just help those people. And if some of them had student loans and some of them didn't, some were high school dropouts and some like, I don't, it's, I don't think that that's a good way to allocate dollars, but I'm not trying to cut them out of the pie. It just wouldn't be my guiding principle. Yeah, yeah. And then, and then there's obviously, so that's just independently of who earned what or who deserves what, it's just like we want a floor and that comes from the ceiling is, is how we provide that. Then there's, is this long-term good policy? So some people argue that like if you pay off these student loans that then they'll go be more productive members of society, start businesses, won't have to do more uh, of a drudgery. utilitarian for, for that yeah, society yeah. argument. So you're saying what's the best thing for the United States mm-hmm. going forward into the future? Yeah, so this is- this To would, make the country the best. This is an argument that doesn't require them to be like totally destitute. This is, this is the argument for, I guess, hedge fundies having to not pay full taxes on things. Like, well, then they invest more money into the this economy the argument, and that's good for everyone. for capital gains tax. Yes, yes. yes. Which, go, which the rich rule. benefit from more than the poor. Yeah, but it's allegedly it's good for society. Yes. Um, and then allegedly. it seems it seems there's a disagreement there and uh, about where student loans fall in that measurement of mm-hmm. is this good for society, is this bad? I tend to think, and again, this is, I'm not a macroeconomist, uh, just going to my own life. It would have been bad if I was relieved from the consequences of those actions as a middle-class person in America that was not going to starve to death as a result, but did have to sleep on the floor as a result of my student loan mm-hmm. debt and decisions. And I had to Airbnb my bed and you and I shared a queen bed. Thank clear, you for that, by the way, on, on a number of occasions. You didn't have to sleep on the floor. You had to sleep on the floor if you also didn't want to work a job that you didn't enjoy. You had a bed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The I thing did. is when people get student loans... And then don't want to sleep on the floor and also don't want to mm-hmm. work a job that they don't like. And so they go, well, how do I only do things I like living in the comfort of at least uh, whatever I desire in terms of living alone or mm-hmm. living, not having roommates, not having an Airbnb. And, and I don't want to have Correct. To I could have gone home and there might have been a couch or a bed. You could have been a consultant. Dude, you yeah. could have been consultant or I could forever. Have you consultant. never would have had to sleep on the floor. You could have just done a job you didn't like until your loans were paid off. And to be clear, I did, that one was, you know, it wasn't suffering. I was in a nine bedroom Victorian house with, uh, yeah, you had, very you had eight roommates yeah. and a bed. Yeah. And you said, I don't want to do this and I don't want to work in consulting. Mm-hmm. I'll take part-time work, lower pay and go from bed, eight roommates to floor, literally sharing a room with me at that point. Like you're talking about eight roommates who you had doors in between and now you're on the floor <laughs> with a cot <laughs> next to a bed. <laughs> yeah, but that was a decision that you made and actually you could have avoided that. That I, I see that a lot. It's a lot of people are truly suffering financially even though they work two jobs and work very hard. And then there's another group of people who have decided that they don't want to do what they consider bad jobs, whether that's because it's hard physically or it's disinteresting to them or the hours are too long. And I don't think that those people should be grouped in the same bucket, even though they both have loans. Yeah. Yeah. And there's probably, a, like, to your first point, 
a better way to find the, the I think, first group of people that you described uh, and not aid the second as much. Yeah, if you have student loans despite the fact that you worked all through college and now you're working 16 hours at two jobs. And the reason is because you had no support from your family and you have no backstop. There's no couch for you to go crash on if things don't go well. You're in such a different situation than if your middle-class family has a safety net for you and you could take on roommates or live cheaper, but you just want to, I want to live in this certain part of the city. I don't want to have to commute. I want to be in Santa Monica. Yeah, I want to yeah. be in Manhattan. I don't want to have to be in Hoboken. Yeah. Oh, well, now my bills are too high. Like, that's such a different circumstance than... Well, to be fair, even Hoboken, that was 10 years ago. Lord knows that might be sure. super expensive. I, I guess I'm saying the <laughs> there are a lot of people complaining that the system's unfair, and they're in very different circumstances. Yes. Um, yes, I, I very much agree. So I, that was just the thought, because I saw a lot of, obviously, just comments and discussion, but... Uh, unclear philosophy on why these should be covered and it's like you know they have so much well, they should help us one, does it the does it does it me? benefit yeah. me yes or no step two decide my philosophy around this issue based on what the answer to step one was yeah and so when i was reading these i was i was you know they can afford it i was struck by like well you can afford clean water for people in africa and i truly do believe that probably most americans have not illegal but um have a, have a moral obligation to ask themselves sincerely if they should give a considerable portion of their income yep. to people that are truly destitute around the world. I'm also all for student loan reform. Mm -hmm. Now, the thing is, if you just wipe all the existing student loans clean and you don't do anything to change the system, you'll just have the same problem in the future. But just because I don't think this is the best way to allocate money necessarily doesn't mean that I think there shouldn't be things like, hey, maybe you're allowed to go bankrupt on your student loans 100%. and your parents aren't responsible. How weird is it that you, you, a bank will loan you money because they know that someone else has to bail you out, but that's not how it works in business. That's not how it works once you're over 18 it's and not adult. dischargeable via death. <laughs> yeah. So like, what if we just made student loans like anything else where you go and you say, hey, can I get a student loan for Harvard? They go, what are you going to major yeah. in? I was thinking about doing politics. I imagine I'll make around eighty dollars to $150,000 a year when I graduate from Harvard. Here's the loan. Here's the interest. They go, oh, this is a good mm -hmm. loan in the same way I assess a small business loan. Yeah. Instead of just going, hey, we'll give you this no matter what your plan is, no matter what college, what major, because you can't escape it. Yeah. You can't go bankrupt. You can't die. It'll just go to your parents. So I think there are laws that would have nothing to do with sending taxpayer money to basically lenders, which is all that some people are asking for, for the student loan forgiveness. It's just a, a bailout that doesn't hurt the people that made the loans at all. Mm -hmm. But you could be like, okay, we're not going to touch the existing loans. People made their decisions, but we are going to mandate legal change so that student loans aren't so insane going forward. And I think that's great. It makes total sense. And I think putting the lenders on the hook is going to result in them not lending to people who have no hope of paying it back. And less people will get to go to college, but sure. Which I think would be a good thing. I think, well, we've talked about this. We don't have to go too deep into it. I, I think that would be uh, a very good thing. And that's not to say that the nation would be less educated as a result. I think we should focus on education via other avenues than college. People could also go to community college. They go to state college, you know, probably the, the colleges that would have the least or the biggest impact of that would be private colleges. Anyway, it's not like you can't go get an education from a state school. Mm -hmm. Uh, let's move on. Just I would talk about it more, but we've done it in the past. Sure. So uh, only semi-related, but watched a video. Uh, she, I think it was a patron that asked us to review a video between this woman, Luis. Is it Luis? Yeah, it's Luis. 
Perry, who is a, uh, a feminist, and she discussed in this particular video, she was talking to an OnlyFans creator, um, but I clicked on a couple of her videos just to see broadly. She'd written a book, and I mentioned this to you. Her message is that the sexual revolution uh, has been, by and large, not great for women, that the outcomes that it has created are worse for them and benefit men. That centers around uh, a number of points that she makes. One of them is that treating sex work as normal work, so like the normalization of OnlyFans, Mm -hmm. leads to similar dynamics in any other creator economy, which is only 1% of people make any money at all. Mm -hmm. Like very few are able to do it. But the social stigma of uh, having done OnlyFans or, or, you know, being considered filling your pejorative of choice will follow women around farther, decrease their chances of finding a partner with, with whom they feel very happy, and that you cannot culture away that biological preference that men have for, on average, for chaste women, like, or more chaste women compared to... You can't, buy, you can't society that away, you don't think? That's her argument. Well... Okay, there's different kinds of OnlyFans. Uh, there's an OnlyFans where you hook up with a different person every week mm-hmm. on camera or every day or every hour. But there's also, I will, you know, sit in a bikini. Yeah, yeah. I don't think being a Sports Illustrated swimsuit model ever hurt that those women's ability to get male attention or get married or anything like that. Mm-hmm. So I do think it is the social stigma that, hurts OnlyFans. I'm not saying that's bad or that won't actually hurt their marriage, but I do think it's weird to claim that's biological because I think Victoria's angels and swimsuit models largely wear their underwear around, take photographs, do all that stuff, and are coveted by a lot of men. Probably as it tends more towards pornographic is where that would kick in. I agree, though, that there's... Yeah, I mean, that's what I'm saying. So, like, if you... if a you Woman do has lose. an OnlyFans where she has sex every day with a different person. Sure, maybe maybe there's something there biologically that dudes are going to be turned off to. But if she's the number one creator or a small creator who's wearing underwear and showing her boobs, I'm not convinced that that's biologically going to eliminate male interest in her. The other, and there's a number of other things that we can I'll touch on, which is uh, the the hookup culture, which has been a, a big shift from. Only, you know, not until, whatever, three months in after he's shown a ton of interest. It's mm-hmm. like, no, go out on Tinder if you feel hot for him. And uh, it the reduction of sex from a meaningful act that says something about who you are mm-hmm. and maybe even about something spiritual to a bodily function that feels good, um, that you sh- should feel fully entitled to uh, as you feel it, provided that you're safe and protected and don't, you know, get pregnant or anything like that. Um that that leaves women, and she talks about, like, women are less likely to orgasm with a new partner, so they're less likely to enjoy it. The idea that uh, they're more likely to, quote, unquote, catch feelings, which is what we call it, like it's an illness, like the idea that a woman would sleep with a man and uh, really start to like him as a result of that would be like catching something Mm -hmm. (laughs) that she was trying to avoid and cites, I believe, research that, you know, anecdotally, this is maybe true for you, maybe not, that women are more likely to quote-unquote catch feelings as a result of sex than men are, Mm. who are more likely to uh, or can more easily be promiscuous without feeling emotionally connected to that person. Um, And she just kind of goes through 
these this list of things and says that what appears to be freedom is actually the social push towards behaviors that don't make women happy. Um, you know, everybody go out, get a career type thing, as opposed to uh, focus more on finding a suitable partner while you are younger that will lead to a longer period of happiness in, in your life. Sure. I wouldn't say that that's unique to this issue or to women, though. Like you're saying there's an area in society where there's a push to do things that ultimately don't make you happy. This is also the entire mm -hmm. consumerism cycle. You know, this is anyone who owns a luxury good. Yeah. This is. Well, she's, I guess she's pointing out that, because consumerism is kind of old hat now, she's pointing out like, oh, this thing that everybody says is good that we need more of, which is like more sexual liberation, more free mm -hmm. the nipple, more this, um, will not lead to increased happiness, which I think is an interesting take if I don't fully agree with. I don't know. I mean, I, I, if there was a way to get data on it, I'm open to either one. I think it's possible, but I also think people would say that to men as well. Yeah. You know, that's Jordan Peterson's whole argument yeah. is that the, I, the pursuit of casual sex is mm -hmm. ultimately like corrupts your soul. And, yeah, yeah. and if you think you're enjoying this, you're wrong type thing. Mm -hmm. So I don't know. The, one, the interesting thought that I have, which is semi-related to what you just said, is... She makes the point that the sexual ethos of today suits the male sexual pattern, which is have lots of partners. And again, this is like urban ethos. You know, it's not necessarily true all across the United States of America, but it's increasingly becoming true in urban centers. Uh, lots of partners, lower connection, date the field, mm -hmm. uh, don't commit. Um, and this suits men, she says. And I, I... What I have felt repeatedly in a lot of these conversations is like, this really doesn't suit men writ large. Mm -hmm. This suits a very small number of men. And I am continually blown away how in conversation, when people talk about men, how like 90% of men are actually invisible to the point that they can't see them. So they'll say things like, men have been running the world for thousands of years. And it's like, yeah, but only if you include all the ones that are out on the front lines getting destroyed, not running the world. Like, this suits men better. It's like, yeah, not, not if you don't include the men who aren't getting any matches or, you know, who might have a girlfriend, except that that girlfriend is now the second girlfriend of some super uh Yeah, some, guy, some guys are crushing it. Some guys are crushing it, dating six women at a time. And some guys are out there struggling and consider themselves incels because they're involuntarily celibate. Yeah. Yes. So I thought... It's, it is a... Yeah, it seems like... I do see that. I mean, that is that is my impression of the structure of how dating has shifted. I don't know if that's, but that's kind of always been the case, right? Like the people at the top have a ton of options and date a ton of people, except for, I guess, in religious areas. But I'm thinking like kings and pharaohs and stuff, yeah. Genghis Khan, whatever. So yeah, you have people at the top with their harems, <laughs> voluntary or otherwise. In this case, they're voluntary harems. And then you have the guys struggling to find anyone who will date them. And then you have the people in between who have the, you know, the quote unquote regular five to seven sexual partners in their lifetime before they get married. Mm -hmm. Well, she, she makes the point, which I believe is well-established. Maybe I'm wrong that monogamous cultures that like arose as a result of Christianity are more peaceful on average than polygamous cultures because you don't have all of these uh, frustrated single mm -hmm. men <laughs> running around starting wars. They have a, as Jordan Peterson would say, what is it? A civilizing influence yeah. in, in their life in the form of a girlfriend that has been, that uh, fewer people are socially 
capable of having harems. You're what, just not allowed. What's her evidence that this is worse for women? She's do, there are studies that she says for reported happiness or it just doesn't I, meld with her view of evolutionary psychology? Like where, where does bedrock her so she, she's, argument? She's, um, she is a very interesting speaker and I find her compelling. Um, if there's though there are points that I thought were made against her that were solid, some of which you have made, the one that the OnlyFans girl made is that she's like, look, you're telling me that sex work is like, not good for me and it hurts me. She's like, I worked in a factory and I can tell you which one sucked at my soul more. It was the factory job. So like, I appreciate you coming in to protect me, but this is not the worst job that I've had, not mm -hmm. by a long shot. Um, what kind of OnlyFans is she? She, I, th I think she has been, on OnlyFans, she's been everything from an, like lewd, but she has been a prostitute before. Um, she has received sex for money, I think on many occasions. And she has She said, received sex for money, well. <laughs> She's desperate. She's so desperate. She has received money for sex on several occasions. Got it. Uh, many, I believe. Um, so she's done much, if not all, of what you might think of. Got it. Yeah. Because it is, I mean, I have a lot of counter thoughts, which I've kind of already said. The idea that all OnlyFans is created equal mm -hmm. is odd. It is massively stigmatized, and I, I feel that myself. I, I would have a prejudice against it because of this stigma, mm -hmm. but I do recognize that it is kind of random because we do have these mm -hmm. things that we hold up as like, oh, wow, your girlfriend's yeah. a swimsuit model? Well, where they kind of agreed, which was, I thought, because she, she's like, I'm not advocating for a ban of OnlyFans. I'm advocating for a social movement against this is wonderful and amazing and mm -hmm. everyone should, should do it. And the OnlyFans girl, she's like, actually, the most dehumanizing experiences I have are not in-person prostitution. They're on OnlyFans. It's like they are reduced to people who send me money in exchange for things mm. and I am reduced to an object of lust and that is not how I have felt in the like in-person encounters that I've had is that there is a there is a human being on the other side. So like actually and we've talked about how OnlyFans just fetishizes you know men are men are reduced to money <laughs> and women are reduced to body parts and you can have the girlfriend experience without her making you go to her in-law's house <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> does, does this author or speaker have a suggested paradigm i think it is generally because Sorry, go ahead. It's, it's a soft one. It's not crazy. It's like socially, I don't think we should encourage that. And I'm here to just start the social ball yeah. of saying uh, like waiting until it's very like standard advice. Like don't have sex right away. Uh, wait until a few months in to, to sleep with a guy to show that he's interested in investing in you. And by the, I think that's solid advice. I think you will can often um, I think many women will wind up with their feelings hurt, especially in LA if they don't follow that sure, advice sure. now is it always a problem no uh but it's it's uh, being cautious there is uh, i've seen to be a good rule yeah. of thumb um yeah these are just broad labels that's why i ask because like the sexual revolution has been bad for women it, it, the question is which parts the mm -hmm. creation of the birth control pill part the well that's what they talk is that the pill which is they both agree is amazing and awesome which is decoupled sex from babies has had a lot of these behaviors that don't lead to women's uh higher satisfaction casual sex being one of them because they're less likely to orgasm mm. uh rather than spending their 20s you know being more chaste and then being with someone for a longer period of time with with whom they have a deeper connection um increased willingness to do something like only fans or sex work as opposed to not doing that 
Yeah, I guess the problem is I'm also just going to show my age because I'm basically 35 now. Maybe that's happening to current 22-year-olds, but mm. I, most of the people I know that I went to college with were, who were women, were maybe sexually promiscuous for a time, you know, briefly, mm -hmm. but largely got boyfriends their freshman, sophomore year, and now we're married to them. So yeah. they like probably had a high school sweetheart they had sex with, or maybe a couple, and then they got on birth control, and then they... Married the guy that they met at 20. Yeah. Like, I don't, for my little cohort at University of Pennsylvania, which is its own demographic and whatever, I didn't see a massive push of women who were hooking up with dozens or hundreds of guys and not looking for a boyfriend. They were kind of doing what this person is suggesting, but while also allowing themselves to have some casual sex sure. if they met someone at a partner that, or at a party that what they were attracted to. But like, I believe it's moved farther towards so, like with so the yeah. advent of online dating. It might've in the last 10 yeah. years, you know, but uh, yeah, I don't know. I, I guess I don't have that experience. Also, even when I was on the dating apps and I was matching with people like you and I both experienced because we both said, well, I, we said to women like, Hey, I'm not looking for an exclusive relationship. And a lot of women are totally down for that, but then ultimately would opt out when they met a guy who was. Mm -hmm. So like I had, I would, you know, hook up with somebody a handful of times. I like them. They like me. They're like, hey, are you sticking to this non-monogamy thing? I go, yeah. They go, okay, I met another guy and he wants to be my boyfriend. So I'm going to go that route. Mm -hmm. So I don't, I don't see this as much, but that doesn't mean that it's not happening. I just don't notice that they're the outliers, the, the women who are, you know, in their thirties, unmarried, have slept with a hundred dudes mm -hmm. and- regret it because i also think that last part's important if you're if you're 35 you slept with a thousand people but you s are stoked about it you wouldn't fall into this category because you would score very highly on a happiness test right so it's I like so. yeah I, I don't just don't see it a lot so i'd be curious if that's actually happening yeah it seems like most people are doing what she says <laughs> which is <laughs> most of the women i know are event end up in monogamous relationships and marriages mm -hmm. i do think it is decreasing I, th I do think that the data shows uh decreases of that traditional behavior with more sexual partners in between marriage being pushed back, um, those sorts of things. But I actually, I believe that marriage might've made a comeback in terms of not as likely to end divorce. I don't know the data, so I won't, I won't continue to guess. Last thing that I have, uh, did you want to say something more? No, we can get it. We can cool. Get um, that I watched a video with Douglas Murray that I thought was interesting, which is that for a long time, there, the left had these words which they could um, throw at people that disagreed with them and mm -hmm. were just bombs. Racist being mm -hmm. the big one. Like you, it's it's almost unrecoverable in certain circles if you are accused of being a racist. Yep. You defend yourself. You don't. You're you're kind of fucked. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, and he argues that the right has now found their own, uh, which is groomer. And I don't know if you see this now, but when trans issues come up. Uh, the word groomer is very popular in the comment section. Mm. And he makes a point, which is like, look, some people are racist. Some people are groomers. But in both cases, the throwing around of these words to just like absolutely nuke your opponent mm. and force them to explain how they're not, you know, racist or a groomer. Yeah, yeah. Is, just for uh, people who don't know, this is, these are dog groomers. <laughs> this, they are... They take care they of give dogs. dogs haircuts. <laughs> There's the guys who drive around in the vans. Yeah. They come to your house. Got it. 
It says like Paw Patrol. Paw Patrol. I got you. I got you. (laughs) They're the groomers. And people, that's a bad job. (laughs) Yeah. Um, But yeah, I I, I did think that that was interesting. And and after he said it, I was like, oh, wow, I am seeing this as a, uh, this is now like, it's just funny, this evolutionary effect that happens where like everybody's trying insults and then they find the one that hits and Mm -hmm. then they just keep pressing that button to smash it and uh, discourse devolves into a bunch of racists and a bunch of groomers just screaming at each other. Also, I wasn't going to bring this up, but I just thought this. Man, two different Americas with this Donald Trump shit. Yeah, yeah. Fucking wild, dude. I was going to mention this. Uh, So I don't... I'm not part of the FBI, so I don't have access to the evidence they have. So Donald Trump might be a criminal that should go to jail. He might have committed state crimes. He might not have and shouldn't have been investigated. So I have no opinion at all on the FBI raid. But it is hilarious because I was reading a couple articles about it. And they get a bunch of senators and congressmen to talk about their opinion of it. And in the articles I saw, at least, every person that thinks it was great had a little D next to them. And every person that thought it was bad had a little R next to him. I went, this is strange and a little bit pathetic that all I need to know is the party you ran on to get into office. And I can tell you whether or not you think that Donald Trump broke the law in this way, which is weird because you'd think there'd be some evidence or lack of evidence where a couple of Democrats would say, I didn't think we had the right to do that. Or a couple of Republicans would say, that seems totally fair. i I was happy he was in office, but it does seem like he might have yeah, yeah. stolen and sold state secrets, so we should probably investigate him. Instead, everyone's just sticking to their team, not at all interested in pursuing the actual truth of the matter. Yeah, but yeah, that was just a thing that I saw was this is either the biggest victory lap of the last political year or the beginning of Civil War, get your guns ready, because they're... Uh, they're coming for you. He's just in the way, <laughs> which is what I've seen a yeah, lot yeah. of people say. It's just so weird. Like, how about this guy might not have done anything or might have done something super illegal and we'll find out. Depending on his yeah. actions, he should be free to run for president or be put in jail. Mm-hmm. And who you voted for two years ago shouldn't weigh in on that. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's pretty. It's pretty wild how predictable someone's opinion on an issue can be just based on what party they're registered for. What else you got? What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I did my first triple psychedelic sit mm. about nine days ago. It's a new protocol that I quite liked. It's my <laughs> new favorite. So again, I'm not saying anyone should do this. Definitely don't break any laws. But in the interest of just sharing my own experience, it was the first time I went in, I did MDMA therapy, and then I had two grams of psilocybin and another uh, dose of MDMA. And then sometime later, I did another gram of psilocybin. And then at the end, it was rounded out with ketamine. And I found that the, the timing of the different substances was really incredible for mm-hmm. me. I think for my experience, MDMA is really good at showing you your subconscious mind and your blind spots and the ways in which you may be hurting yourself on accident by carrying things with you that were adaptive from your childhood that don't make sense anymore as an adult. Mm-hmm. And that's super, super useful. But then when you add psilocybin to it, it goes from being something you're thinking and you're feeling. MDMA is not just in your head. It's not cerebral like talk therapy. It's like you really embody it. But then the psilocybin makes it so that you, you go from thinking about, oh, I had to repress my feelings and I didn't realize it because I needed to get the love of my father or my mother or whatever to metaphorically like chipping the ice off your heart while feeling your heart release. Yeah. It switches from an MDMA. Normally you're talking out loud or you're thinking thoughts. It's, it's very similar to how most people think of therapy and the psilocybin makes it so that you can really have these insane transformations almost metaphysically. And it also, to me, taps into that spiritual part where I became for a period of time, I felt something beyond the regular 3d world, something around touching on universal consciousness and having more of a sense that no matter what happens, you'll be okay. Mm-hmm. And then normally for me when I have, so I've done those two before, I have a pretty rough come down afterwards where I feel pretty bad. And the ketamine actually elongated the therapeutic session for me and eliminated a lot of that come down for mm-hmm. me. So it's just a really special experience. And uh, you know, I know that people are starting to get interested in this area, even though it's illegal. So I figured I would share it just for people who aren't doing it themselves, but like to kind of keep up on what's going on. That was mm-hmm. my I work with a professional on this who's done this, you know, hundreds or thousands of times and I'd never done it before. I thought it was awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I think, uh, you said, you know, it's funny as you said protocol, but I think I'm sure this is what happened in your session is that there's a looseness to it. And I think this is obviously maps has to study it in, you take this pill at this time, we ask you for these four questions and it has to be Mm -hmm. studied that way in order to pass legal muster. I do think that the real value of these is when you get a highly trained person with lots of experience doing this who can react to the situation. So you guys went in with this option ready for you. Like maybe we could do all three, but it wasn't demanded. It was, it was no, no. very much like, no, we how is it going? Is this appropriate? And I, there, was a, there was a personal doctor, patient, person connection that that made that call. And I also think that 
you know, a good professional is not going to force anything on you. So there is you as you're in the driving seat, I think as the person who's taking the medicine and going through the journey. So these are the options you can opt in or opt out or whatever, but it's, yeah, it's something where not, you don't have to do the same thing every time necessarily. It depends on like where you are and what your intention is. And I I came Mm -hmm. in, I said, I don't have a specific intention in the sense that I have a problem in my life that I want to solve. I think people will go to these therapies sometimes and they say, you know, I had a horrible trauma. I was raped. I'm having PTSD as a soldier. I just went and I said, Hey, I think like every human on the planet is my impression. I'm carrying things from a young age that made sense at the time to my child brain that Mm -hmm. don't serve me anymore. And I don't, they don't come from a specific triggering event necessarily that I can think of, but I just want to release that. And so it's, it was very, to your point, fluid and, it was only after doing the MDMA for a period of time that she's like, I think you would benefit from yeah, yeah. adding psilocybin. Do you feel that way? And then I get to opt in or out. Yeah, and go, yeah. yeah I think that would be great. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's you kind of get to lead your own journey. But I do think it's really important to have a professional there. Like I know people have tried to do this on their own. That the thing everybody understates when they're doing their you know, podcasting or whatever is the importance of the integration mm-hmm. and the idea that if you don't have anyone helping you, you can feel very lost or you can feel like you broke your brain afterwards mm-hmm. just because you're having incredibly powerful, beneficial, positive thoughts or thought patterns or things that are new to you, but they're scary because they're new to you and you don't know how to deal with them. And no one else, and they often take the form of, uh, they, like they can be hallucinatory. They can be uh, bouts of confusion. They can be, they are like, ultimately healing but the the form that they take is not one that if you tell your friends who have never done this they're going to be like you got to go to a doctor you could be dying mm-hmm. is what they'll tell you and yeah, if, yeah. if you go to a professional who sat with you they're like this is awesome the process is continuing and you are continuing to get insights and here's some guidance on how you can make sense of this particular confusion that is coming up without like treating it or you know that yeah. that sort of a thing yeah i know someone who went through it recently and <laughs> They, first of all, they've been, they've been going to therapy for a long time. They have substantial traumas they can point to in, in a different way than I do. And they said one session was like 10 years of therapy. They, they had a breakthrough that they have been hoping for and working towards and unable to achieve. And they did it in one session. But then afterwards, they felt disoriented a bit in the timeline because part of the journey was going through their, their life, basically at the ages that certain traumas occurred. And so then afterwards... They're like, I still feel like that age and it was very scary. And then they work with the professional and the professional helps them go, no, this is just your, your parts just need to catch up. Mm-hmm. And they have a conversation. All of a sudden they feel so much better because they go, oh, I'm not, my brain didn't break. This isn't bad. This is just part of the healing process. And all of a sudden, even when it's happening, they, they feel totally comfortable with it. Mm-hmm. But if you don't have that person afterwards to orient you, mm-hmm. then it can be very, very scary. Yeah. And I also know people who've done it without guides and they have been really, really scared and, and felt like it was not a good time yeah, yeah. afterwards for a while. So yeah. So bad, yeah, that's, bad that's, integration will make a good trip, a bad one very quick. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's my new favorite protocol for now. I'm, I continue to research this because I think it's fascinating. The Netflix documentary also came out. I don't know if you've seen it. I have not. Everybody sends it to me. I just, yeah. I was like, guys, I'm, I'm sold. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think it does. I actually watched it and I don't think that it does a great job. Mm. So I watched Michael Pollan did it. Michael Pollan's been awesome for the movement love what he does. He, his psilocybin episode I watched spends a lot of time talking about the history of yeah, psilocybin. I think it's important though for people. You don't, 
No, I don't. So mm. for, I was watching it with somebody who was scared to do psychedelics, but has things that they'd like to let go of. And so I said, let's watch this documentary together. Maybe it'll help you feel at ease. And, and then I can put you in touch with someone. And yeah, learning that in Mexico 600 years ago, this was a holy plant doesn't really convince anyone that this is safe. In my mind, this documentary's job is to undo the negative propaganda that occurred during the war on drugs, which was falsified. Literally, they talk, now in the, the MDMA episode is good. And they talk about how people in an effort to get MDMA banned and made illegal because it was becoming so popular, literally fabricated research. They gave mm. people methamphetamines and then said it was MDMA. And then they Photoshopped photos of people's brains yeah. to make up symptoms. And this, I think it's, this documentary's job is kind of to take most of society that has fearful, negative propaganda beliefs around psychedelics and help them see, oh, this is heal, healing and therapeutic. So from that perspective, I don't think knowing that 600 years ago it was used as a religious thing for indigenous Mexican people is as helpful as when they did show psilocybin for someone with OCD or PTSD and talk about their trauma and their life beforehand and then they show you video of the session and then they talk to the person afterwards. That I think is really powerful where you go, oh man, this person went and served overseas, fought, came back and fireworks put him in his closet wearing body armor, yeah. paralyzed with fear. And then he did the psychedelic therapy and now he's largely over it, functioning in society and a huge spokesperson trying to get other vets mm -hmm. to do this because of how helpful it was. That's the thing I think that gets people going, oh, maybe this is for me. Or at a minimum, this isn't for me, but it should be legal. Yeah. I think that's more useful than knowing. I, well, when you said history, I was thinking of LSD being a, a t studied for the treatment of alcoholism, being wildly successful, and then being banned. No, that I think is good. Yeah. I'd, I'd say that's like the scientific side of the documentary. Yeah. I'm talking about just, just knowing, oh yeah, you know, so 600 long, years ago. A long, like, shamanic tradition exists. The Vikings used yeah, yeah, this, yeah. you know, when they were communing with their god. Like, Most I don't think this don't is going to make the 58-year-old yeah. lawmaker who grew up under Nixon mm -hmm. and Reagan feel more comfortable yeah, yeah. to know that the Vikings did this to talk to God. That's like, a little bit, you know, it's funny, because that's, like, that's a section that preaches to the choir, because I do think what often gets people into psychedelics is, I had a breakup, I have a trauma, I have PTSD from war, mm -hmm. and they get into it. And then you have these spiritual experiences that are inexplicable. And then you're like, oh my God, the Vikings use this or the Mexicans. Yes. And then, but it's like, that doesn't persuade someone who just wants yes. to spot some of their problems. Yeah, especially if your goal is make this. Yeah, oh. there he goes. <laughs> make this socially acceptable so people don't feel a stigma. In the same way therapy used to have a stigma and now doesn't. Like psychedelic therapy shouldn't have a stigma. Mm -hmm. So you want to remove the stigma and you want to help make it legal. I don't think that stuff's as helpful as when they, ha they have these, they bring this, woman on its heartbreaking story she was she was a rape victim and then her brother passed away tragically and then her mom is struggling with the death of her son and so does a murder suicide and so she is a wreck and she goes on these pills to help her with the depression and they just mute all her emotions so she's in a fog and then she goes and does psychedelics and it transforms her life i think that's the stuff that's yeah yeah persuasive and it had, the mdma episode is great but the psilocybin ep episode just spent a lot of time on stuff that made me think that people maybe haven't figured out what the gating issues are to social acceptance for psychedelics yet because it's not uh, it's not oh, a these don't have history. a it's, track yeah. record in religion yeah yeah so yeah the mdma episode is good if people are interested in psychedelics and do want to learn i thought the MD mdma episode was really good mm-hmm
uh, one thing it said, two thirds of PTSD go away with MDMA therapy, which I think is pretty incredible. So it's a shame that this isn't legally available to every soldier and victim of abuse that's struggling with PTSD. Yeah. The thing that I, I mean, you, you mentioned this, but, um, I think that these, uh, diseases, mental illnesses that we have names for borderline personality disorder, PTSD, narcissistic personality disorder, to a degree, antisocial personality disorder, um, that we have like these step functions, like here's society that's not. And then there's people that are Mm -hmm. actually occur on a spectrum. Yeah. Narcissism, not like narcissism occurs on a spectrum. PTSD occurs on a spectrum. Go ahead. Can I add to it, please? A spectrum and overlapping Venn diagrams in the sense that they're trauma responses. Mm -hmm. So yours might manifest because there's a little bit of, well, how can this be good for, how can one thing be good for so much PTSD and anxiety and depression well, because these are ultimately often trauma responses. Mm-hmm. And by the way, maybe you didn't even get the trauma. Maybe your parents got the trauma, but then they ha- they got the anxiety and then they just passed the anxiety to you based on constant exposure to how they think. So like you learn to worry like they learn to worry because mm-hmm. monkey see monkey do. Yeah. yeah. So, this is the chill. This is Gabor Mate. He was a child of a like woman who I think escaped the Holocaust. Mm-hmm. And like, he's like, yeah, the whole thing for me is like, I wasn't in the Holocaust, but like, my, like I was a baby with a woman who was terrified mm-hmm. constantly. Yep. Like that has impacted my life more than anything I can remember has yep. impacted my life. Uh, and I've only come to learn that in, in my older ages. I've like, he worked with a bunch of addicts and he learned that they had these trauma responses. Then he started to look at himself. He's like, holy cow, you, this stuff cannot help but be passed from parent to child. Yep. The way of being, the way of thinking and approaching but- the world. I, and I do agree with you. I think some people think psychedelic therapy, oh, that's great and that should be legal, but it's only for Navy SEALs. Mm-hmm. It's not for me just because I got in a fist fight as a kid once or whatever. Mm-hmm. But I'm not worried about that so much because I think once this stuff is legal, it has the single greatest referrals that I've ever seen. Everyone yeah, yeah. who does it raves about it. So once it is legal for the Navy SEAL, I think everyone will eventually be doing this a couple times in their it's- lifetime just to... Just because the human experience is learning as a child and then becoming an adult and not everything you learn needs to keep carrying forward. Yeah. So I haven't seen anybody who's done this in a good environment who hasn't thought it was great. You, you said good environment. I think that, um, I think an inevitability is that most of the ingestion of these very useful, powerful substances will be done in a way that is far less than optimal. You know what I mean? Like I think that you will find lots of people who... Uh, Sling pills, <laughs> basically. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah. This, oh, go put promise an eye, integration and don't offer it. Put an eye mask on in your home. Mm-hmm. Listen to binaural beats in your home. Take this substance. Talk to our twenty-five-year-old therapist for yeah. thirty minutes in order to get a script. Talk to our twenty-five-year-old therapist afterwards. Yeah, no, say people, that you're doing great. It's not just. It's not just the medicine. This is why when people write me, they'll write us sometimes. Say, hey, I know you've done psychedelics. I found this website for this company mm-hmm. in Mexico. Should I go? Like, I cannot. Mm-hmm. tell you i would say no yeah. <laughs> i i can't vouch for this and i don't think it's just the drinking ayahuasca part not that's, even close that's yeah. the healing part so yeah i think unfortunately that is the case that's also people get confused because i before i did any of this i did mdma at a rave <laughs> i tell you it's a very different experience i did psilocybin on the beach in bali very different experience so i think the the benefit has to come from a certain setting and a certain intention and things like that, mm-hmm. which can also be surprising to people who have taken this stuff recreationally. They go, ah, well, I've done MDMA mm-hmm. at a lot of nightclubs and I've never thought about my childhood. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're not having a therapeutic experience. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you just happen to be using the same substance 
to party. There's a, uh, which I've is heard, fine. It's just don't think that that don't think that you know what it's like to do MDMA therapy. So people are talking about tobacco and actually large quality quantities of marijuana now as having some of the like this is occurring in circles. I've not done it. I don't necessarily. I'm not really called to do it, mm-hmm. but uh, I've heard that like <laughs> like smoking a ton of weed gives you a psychedelic experience. Um, it's just interesting, you know, and obviously the way that weed is often used is not, not that it's had bad outcomes, but it's for less than transformational experience mm-hmm. is how it's often used. Um, same thing with yeah, tobacco. I'll, I'll believe it once they have studies on it. You know, I mean, MDMA and psilocybin are being fast-tracked by the mm-hmm. FDA because they're considered breakthrough yeah, yeah. therapies. So if they have that for a massive amount of weed, I'll believe it. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to try it unless <laughs> I see that or I have a friend who goes yeah. to somewhere and comes back and says it was transformational. I don't yeah. believe it at face value necessarily, but it could be true. Yeah. But yeah, I think what's cool about psilocybin and MDMA, you don't just have to listen to dudes on podcasts. It's mm-hmm. the federal government is smashing these through uh, at a very, very quick speed because they're crushing it on studies. Yeah. Cool. Um, anything else you want to say? You want to tell us any yeah, your, also any just, your shares about it or... I, well, what I was going to say was shout out to the guy that started MAPS. <laughs> 50 years ago, when MDMA became illegal, he went and got his PhD in how to legalize a drug. And he wrote his thesis on how to legalize MDMA and then spent 50 years making it happen. That's incredible. I don't know anybody who's stuck so single-mindedly to a goal. Told you that. What about me and D&D? <laughs> True. It's been over a year, dude. One, 49 to go. Isn't that wild? Yeah, that's All because incredible. he wants to be an MDMA therapist, by the way. He says, I can't wait for this to be legal so I can do what I actually want to do, <laughs> which is just help people with I mean, these I don't want to out him, but he's 100% doing what he wants to do already. <laughs> There's no question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Above board. He wants to just do it above board. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I, by the way, I don't have any insider knowledge. I just guess. How could you not? How yeah. could you not? Uh-huh. I had another thing we talked about related to mental health that I, I was shocked at. The idea that chemical imbalance theory for depression and anxiety is just a theory. I didn't know that. I looked I, at the article. It was really long. <laughs> I couldn't get yeah, through it. Yeah, I know. I read a bunch of stuff about yeah. it. I, I'm not saying one way or the other. I just thought it was interesting. Growing up, I just was under the impression that a lot of mental illness is due to bad brain chemistry that you're born with. Just unavoidable, bad luck. Some people tall some people are short some people have blue eyes some people have brown eyes and you have a brain that gets depression Mm -hmm. and it's just interesting that there's pushback occurring that says that a lot of this even if it's there is chemical stuff occurring in the brain it's it occurs more as a trauma response than it does as a inevitability Mm -hmm. and that a lot of that message was pushed by pharmaceutical companies who benefit tremendously because when you think of it as a chemical imbalance, it makes total sense just for a lifetime. Take a pill mm-hmm. that regulates your chemicals. Yeah. And this might be true. Like, it's not, I'm not saying the theory's been disproven, but I was just shocked. I thought this was like gravity. I thought we were just yeah. done with this. Science proved it, chemical imbalance. And so there's been, been this big pushback where they're struggling to replicate the work that claimed that to be the case. And I thought that was really interesting. You know, there's almost, as I think through it with the physical body, there's, for for like massive issues that people have beyond I need a Band-Aid because I scratched my finger, there's almost no non-participative healing, which means like you can't just go get back surgery 
and be fixed. You have to rehab. You have to participate. You have to struggle and encounter problems and overcome them through your participation in that process. And when people get that wrong, either by like, I'll take a Prozac and I'll feel better, um, which I'm sure can help people, but you would be much better served to participate in that process by like getting therapy or doing other sorts of things. I'm also not saying that there aren't some cases where that is true. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't have a strong opinion that this has been debunked thoroughly. It's what's more interesting to me is the fact that some of the time there's been a misdiagnosis where that isn't the case and people are being told that's what's happening. Yeah. That doesn't mean there aren't extreme cases. I I would not make a claim that every single, like I'm, if you say you've benefited from Prozac, wouldn't, I'm not here to argue with you. Um, no. no, no, same. I just thought it was interesting that that's being revisited. Mm-hmm. You know, like so many other studies that we, that we grew up thinking were true that haven't been replicated. Yeah. So I thought that was interesting. Um, cool. Anything else? Yeah, I got a potential sweetheart alert. Did you tell our Russian translator to keep 100% of the money that he makes instead of doing the 50-50 deal? No. Oh, really? Oh, he told me he did. I think he's been keeping 100% of the money. Oh, I told him a long time ago because he was having a hard time. Yeah, with all the Russian-Ukraine stuff, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, I didn't know that, dude. That's really nice of you. I literally forgot. Yeah, you just gave <laughs> it. We had a 50-50 deal with the guy that translates our stuff. That's what we do with every foreign language person. And this guy wrote us saying he was Yeah, I was like, is he been stealing? <laughs> no, he said- No, you he, reminded me. It was the Russia stuff, yeah. Yeah, the, the Russia-Ukraine stuff. And he wrote us saying he was struggling. And he said, you said, all right, well, for now, because I've seen the numbers dip tremendously. You know, uh-huh. his business is hurting. Look at you. Just quietly- To be fair, that's, it's, I mean, it's not that much money. No, I just thought that was really nice of you. Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think he would have said the same thing. Was I supposed to ask? <laughs> no, no, no. You didn't, I wasn't mad about it. I thought it was cute. Nice. Um, yeah, no, they got, they got hammered, obviously sucked for, for them. Yeah, and yeah. I don't even think that a hundred percent makes up what, no, it would. doesn't. I mean, I'm, I'm sending the guy money. He's still hundred percent is still less, less than, than what 50 used, to, used be. to be. Yeah. Before Crazy, the war. Crazy man. Yeah. Um, yeah, that sucks. Uh, yeah. Well, he appreciates it. Good. I haven't checked in on a while. Honestly, the th- uh, you know, this is, I don't know if this is, I am, uh, we talked about this. We may in the future sell charisma on command. I don't know if we're going to. Mm-hmm. chat about this publicly it's literally for the just for the first it hasn't it was floated before but this is the first time that i would say i have considered it you were always more the proponent mm-hmm. um and yeah part of the reason is that i feel well one of the things is like i'm not as engaged like you said that and i totally forgot that mm-hmm. like i'd done that like i'm not as engaged i used to like keep better up with like the foreign language channels how are they doing what's going on here i used to have my my uh, finger on the pulse of the business much more and I'm less interested in it. And, uh, there is a degree to which like, you know, people would be better off with a more engaged me or replacement me at, at the helm. Um, you've been obviously doing a lot of the videos. Uh, but yeah, that's, that's one of the reasons. And I think we don't know if it's definitely going to happen. I'm not in a rush to sell it if it's not the right offer, mm-hmm. but it might it might happen in the future. I have a conversation today. Do you really? That's why I have to leave. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> yeah. Make me an offer I can't refuse. Um, the, my concern, and I actually would love, I would love feedback in the comments. This will be one of the few times I read the comments if you've made it this far. One of my big concerns that I would have to write against is people... We've built a tremendous amount of good faith, I think, in Charisma on Command. Mm-hmm. We've sold Charisma University. We used to have a dating product, which we took off because we didn't like it, and Emotional Mastery, which I think is good, but I don't even sell that hard because it's like, I, I, this is, I think people need integration, basically, with yep. this stuff, and so I don't want to push it too hard. 
Um, so we've built a tremendous amount of trust in not slinging crap. Not, you know, there's no crypto products. There's no NFTs. There's no garbage. Like when we say something, it's audible. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like a product that we believe in and use. So I know that one of the things that they see from a financial perspective is the ability to monetize the good faith that we have built with our brand mm -hmm. and a lot of it with my face and name. And I don't know. I'm just curious what people think because that's, that's probably my greatest fear is that we sell this to someone. I want to give them control because truly I no longer want control of yeah. this thing. And next thing you know, there's a dating product, but it's not very good. And then there's a work product, but it's not very good. If there's a dating product and a work product that are good, that makes me so happy. Well, I, I actually do think, yeah, I don't think they're going to start slinging VPNs. Yeah. Uh, because it's just not in their best interest. Mm -hmm. I think what they, if I was taking over, I, I think the quality is important because that's the whole value of the asset. Otherwise, you're just buying something and then destroying it. Mm -hmm. Like it's, it won't be good for them. So their own self-interest, I think, will, yeah, it hopefully. will be to have high quality courses. Mm -hmm. Because if they destroy their reputation of the business, then they won't even have as many people joining Chrism University every month. Mm -hmm. So I think there is financial alignment there mm -hmm. that they just would make less money if they started selling watches and yeah, you know, dog food and whatever sponsor came their yeah. way. And really the biggest reason that you, you brought up in the second half of the podcast um, that we would sell is not, I, I don't want or need the money in my bank. In fact, I'd prefer to have it in annuity form. <laughs> like I'd prefer it drip to me. The reason to sell is because to, to capture the value of the business, but to then free up the brain power to go do D&D &D and psychedelics mm -hmm. way more seriously and heavily. Right now, this podcast is a side project, but if we left, we could move it increasingly away from politics and news and media and into psychedelics, which is the area that you and I are most interested Yep. Um, and then D&D &D and storytelling could take up a bigger role. It has for me. It hasn't for you as much in the last couple of weeks. Um, no, quite the opposite. I can't help you because I'm not only am I doing the job you were doing making videos, I'm also redoing our site, redoing our course. Mm -hmm. You know, Jimmy emails me and says, hey, we have website issues. Yeah, like yeah. I'm now doing more for Charisma on Command than ever. Mm -hmm. So I, can, I can't help yeah, with yeah. D&D. You know, if we sold it, then I could do half of the work yeah. for D&D. Um, but we have to, I mean, I think what we're likely going to do, which, and I don't know if we're going to sell is we're going to put D and D out, get some feedback. I mean, if it's super far out, it's like, Ben, don't even worry. We're not even close. <laughs> like, there's no, there's uh, you know, even you doing the work wouldn't, wouldn't sure. make it better. But if it, it's like, oh dude, we're about to kick it into gear now. And like having another hand on deck would make a big difference. And there's potentially income to be made from this in the near term that could change things. So yeah, we're, we're thinking about it. Um, if we do, we can, maybe we'll talk about the sale and our thoughts on it, but the biggest things that hold me back are, um, I'll just, yeah, this is, I don't know if this is interesting to you guys. This is more just personal. Uh, there's a mental heuristic, which is like income feels better to me than fixed dollar amount mm -hmm. of net worth. And like, yeah, as long as you're spending less than you made this month, it feels good. You feel comfortable versus if I got a large lump sum and then started and was at the it. peak of my net worth and then that went down, even though like that, that mentally would actually be more challenging for me to deal with sure. on a day-to-day, month-to-month basis. You know the Tony Robbins anecdote? What? How happy is someone who wakes up with $5 million in their bank? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How much did they go to sleep with? Yeah, they yeah, They went yeah. to sleep with a billion dollars? <laughs> They're miserable. Yeah. If they went to sleep with 
$30, they're stoked. Yes. So like that's the... And just so so watching it go up versus watching it go down, and this is a go down um, choice that this makes unless, you know, all your investments oh. do very well or something like that. Um, that's one. And then the other big concern is uh, my reputation. And I'm fearful of people trading on my good name. I would try to contract against that. Uh, but I, it's in, you, once you give up control... Mm-hmm. You don't have control. And I've seen these owners of like YouTube and Twitter being like, this is not what this is supposed to be. It's like, bro, you had the chance to not make it this, (laughs) you know, like you took the money. Um, You're like the only guy that could have prevented this. So seeing you here in the comments is not that awesome. And I'm fearful of that outcome where I go, you know, I took the deal for the money and this became something that I uh, didn't want it to be. Um, So those are my biggest fears. Yeah, makes sense. I think it just it's just more time for the podcast, more time for D and D, more time for psychedelics. But it would allow other things to become much more yeah. than they they currently are. Yeah, yeah, I could go get. I could see if we could talk to the founder of Maps on yes. this podcast. Yeah, you know, I could see if we could talk to Michael Pollan on this podcast. We're going to get you. What's his name? Um, what's the guy's name something Yi from. Oh, the guy that made Arcane. The guy that made Arcane. What's his first name? There's a uh, Christian? Christian Lincoln and the something Yi. Alex. Alex Yi. Oh, yeah. you got you out of touch with him? No, but I'm going to. <laughs> I saw him in the documentary. He's walking right in front of where I used to live in Santa Monica, dude. Oh. He was he was out there, dude. Is that your dream guest? He was out. That is my number one dream guest. Um, he was fucking right there. <laughs> uh, imagine if I'd walk past him that day, I wouldn't know what he looked like. Yeah, <laughs> I'd yeah. just been like, who's this guy filming? Uh, but yeah, so that's that's what I have. Anything? Yeah, I have some more charisma on command stuff, sure. but it's not time sensitive. Do you want to save if it for next to, week? It's up to you. Just had an interesting what gets measured gets managed moment uh, in our business and I'm sure in everyone else's business and personal life. There's things you can see, your bank account going up or down, whatever it is. For us, it's very easy to check views on YouTube. And when you see views every day, you orient towards getting more views. Oh yeah, you always say this to me. (laughs) Recently, I have started getting our NPS survey for our course, which comes with suggestions. It just gets, we changed our survey software so and the guy who set it, it up, yeah. no, the guy who set it up just has it, sent it, sends it to me now. Yeah. And it wasn't before. And so every day I get several NPS surveys and to- a lot of them are 10 out of 10. This is amazing. But we ask for suggestions and I've seen the suggestions over and over and over. And so now I'm going and making the course better. Yeah. And it's interesting because the catalyst for that was the fact that I was looking at these suggestions every day. Literally putting your email into a, who should I send this to form for three months thing that has existed for, for a long time. For a long time, yeah. yeah. And so I thought, I just think it's interesting. And it it made me realize something that I think a lot of people know but don't bother to implement, which is you should purposely choose the stuff that your brain gets shown every day. You have to recognize that you have a dashboard or several in your life. For a lot of YouTubers, it's the YouTube studio, which shoves views, watch time, whatever, down your But throat. I think everyone, every entrepreneur has a yeah. dashboard because mm-hmm. you're looking at dollars or you're looking at customer yeah, yeah. satisfaction. You know, yeah, yeah. there's a number you're orienting to. And I think even in people's personal lives, you're looking at dollars because your bank account shows them, but you might not be tracking happiness unless you read the book Feeling Good. And so it's you tough because mo- happiness isn't auto-recorded for you. I've no, tr- I tried to do this. I tried the daily But I think thing. it's, I think it's, it's worth an exploration, I think, for almost everyone to consider what are the things yeah. that I look at every day that that choose for me what I'm going to care about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for me, it's Instagram. <laughs> that's where you. That's what you chose. <laughs> that's, that's my, my dashboard, dashboard was pulling me away towards charity, but yeah. I purposefully. And I realized I need to take more trips to the Maldives. <laughs> <laughs>
So yeah, I just had that. I just lived that and thought it was interesting to experience it, even though it's something I always knew. Cool. So there's that. The other thing is I'm looking for stories from people who have gone through Charisma University and have had wins. We found that through all the fancy marketing and all the people that we've ever hired, the number one most persuasive thing is just people hearing from other people. So if you guys feel comfortable leaving a comment or emailing support at charismaoncommand.com or writer at charismaoncommand.com and letting me know how Charisma University impacted you, where you were before and where you are now, you've gotten a raise or a promotion or a new significant other, that stuff is hugely helpful for getting people to follow in your footsteps. And that's usually helpful for us. So, um, yeah, and you can announce that next week because more important is my call to action, which is watch our D&D show. And, come <laughs> <laughs> and you want me to save that? No, no, you could say it. You just never do two calls to action. First line of the description is D&D. <laughs> you can tell what my priorities are. You're like, hey, it's going to earn us money and like help the business. Like, ba 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 that's also where you spend all your time. Yeah. Charlie spends 100% of his time spending our money. Yes. And I spend 100% of our time trying to rebuild what has been spent. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm the outflow. Yeah. <laughs> you want to switch it to, uh, to questions, sure. audience questions? Uh, or Patreon, whatever we got today. Do we have any audience questions? Sweet. Yeah, I wrote down one. Cool. So are you guys familiar with the movie The Big Lebowski and the philosophy dudism inspired by the dude? I, I know the movie, but not the philosophy. Uh, both of you guys, especially Charlie, seem to lean towards this going with the flow kind of lifestyle and rejecting the societal heavy emphasis on achievement and personal fortune as a way to live your life. So I'm curious what you think of this ideology. I don't know the ideology. I do dress like a schlub. I uh, uh, clearly am not fully Big Lebowski. I was going to say. <laughs> I, uh, oh, this is a nice background I just realized I have for this episode. <laughs> yeah, that's my costume if you want to show people. Um, so yeah, I I don't know the philosophy too well, but generally the way that you described what? it, rejecting standard standard notions of success, I totally I totally subscribe to. This is this is what we're working on after. I know, <laughs> Justin, you got to take this stuff down before we record. I usually I didn't even notice. That's great. <laughs> Our sure sponsorship. I have a bunch of boxes. Yeah, we got Sure and Amazon Prime. This is, don't show them, man. My season two costume. All right, sorry, I just noticed it's it. A big reveal. Um, cool. Let's hop over to Patreon. Yep. Beautiful. What do we got? We're going to talk about teachers and concealed carry again. We're going to talk about if it's stupid to hold on to a relationship you think might be getting to fail. Um, and then beginner improv 101. Mm, cool. If you guys want to join our Patreon, it is the lifeblood of the podcast. It's how we do keep going. Pays Justin. And if you want to see more, quite frankly, we need you guys over on Patreon. So if you want to join any dollar amount, gets you access to every Patreon we've done in the past and this next one, which we're going to cover right now. So to all of our patrons, we appreciate you guys. We'll see you in a moment. To everyone else, thank you so much for watching. And uh, How do you join? Week. I've had multiple people ask me how do they Click join the, the Patreon. Click the link in the description, which is, you know, it's got a URL to Patreon. And Justin, do you, is there like a dedicated a URL? Uh, a yeah, so it's well. patreon.com slash command, And then there's a card that pops up on the top right of the screen. Bang, bang. Patreon.com slash Charisma On Command. I made it for that originally, and I guess which yeah, yeah. Cool. I just had people say, you guys always talk about Patreon, and I don't know how to join. Nope. <laughs> join us. We'll appreciate you guys. See the rest of you over there. Peace.
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.